Robbie Knox here, landlord of the Moon Underwater, and I have a very exciting announcement to share with you. Have you ever found yourself listening along to the podcast thinking, hmm, I wish I could experience this with my own eyes in the real world? Well, you're in luck, because very soon the Moon Underwater will be returning to the other realm for a special live show. As it's such a special occasion, we thought we'd invite an equally special guest along. Joining us on the night to create their dream pub is the Edinburgh Comedy Award-winning comedian Ahir Shah. It's taking place on Sunday the 7th of April at Moth Club in London. Tickets are on general sale now. Search Moon Under Pod on socials, head to our page and click the link in the bio to get your tickets. We look forward to seeing you there. Welcome back to part two of The Moon Underwater with Natalia Watson. Natalia is host of the Beer with Nat podcast, author of Beer, Taste the Evolution in 50 Styles, and is a beer communicator, a beer expert, a beer sommelier, and a certified Cicerone. What does Cicerone actually mean, Natalia? So Cicerone is a qualification created by the Cicerone Certification Program in the US, and it has four levels of certification. So you've got the Certified Beer Server, that's level one, Certified Cicerone is level two, Advanced Cicerone is level three, and Master Cicerone level four. I'm now Advanced Cicerone, I gained that qualification late 2019. So level three, there's about 150 of us in the world with that qualification. And uh, then we, when you get up to master, there's only 20 of them. So it's a very, very difficult uh, test that you need to go through to test your palate, test your knowledge of beer. Exhausting, but exhilarating at the same time. It sounds like the sort of qualification that would come with robes or a special hat. <laughs> Sadly, none of that, but I've got a nice pin badge that I get to wear. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. <laughs> well, maybe suggest to them that the master level should have robes and a special hat. You get four cans of special brew. That's what yeah, four get. cans of special brew <laughs> a special hat. <laughs> well, now I'll ask you this after we've, after we've because we can't leave the listeners on uh, tenterhooks any longer, but there is a question I want to ask you that, uh, that touches on special brew. Um, but Robin, before we get back to uh, Natalia's pub, please, please remove us from these homophonic tenterhooks. Thanks, John. Yes, this week's Moon Underwater pub quiz is about homophones, which are words that are pronounced the same but have different meanings. So I gave you two different definitions, or three in one case, and you had to to work out what word or sound word I was referring to. So the first one was, a rank of officer in the army you may be, but crack open a seed or nut and you shall also see me. Natalia, what are you thinking for that one? My guess there was Colonel. John? Yes, ditto. Colonel. That was, yeah, that stumped me once in a pub quiz. Did it? Yeah. Um, I think you might not have trouble with any of them. <laughs> <laughs> Two was an American coin, you may be, but spray yourself with perfume and you shall also smell me. Natalia? I'm not so confident on this one. My guess was nickel. Okay, John? Scent. Scent, oh, yes, it was Oh, I was scent. thinking too specific there. I'm like, maybe there's a, maybe there's a metallic note in some of these yeah. Uh, perfumes. <laughs> yeah, this is the, the curse of being a sommelier, I suppose. I'm getting know? too yeah. down the line, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Scent, that makes sense. Question three is a part of a foot, you may be, but if I was a doctor, I would do this to thee. Uh, Natalia? Heel. John? Oh, f- <gasps> <laughs> fridge. 
Oh, did... man. I said heel, but I thought of heel as in, like, you would say heel to a dog. Okay. So I was like, a doctor's not going to make you go to heel. So it can't be heel. And now I feel like the biggest goose at the Christmas fair. <laughs> Why? What did you say? Nothing. I just couldn't work. I couldn't oh, think couldn't of it. Oh, you could work it out. Okay. It did pop up in your brain, though, clearly. <laughs> it did. So you're level pegging now with one more to go. The top, the top of a mountain you may be, but if I stole a look at thee, what would you arouse my curiosity, Natalia? <laughs> peak. Peak. John. Uh, yeah, it is peak, but are they all homophones? Because two, aren't two of them spelt the same? No. Or does that no. not matter? We got the A-E and then the E-E and then the no. P-I-Q-U-E. Is that right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I've, made, I've made a fool of myself. I was in the spelling bee in fourth grade, so yeah. So I'll come back. I might give Natalia the edge there because her spelling was like yeah, marginally superior. I think that's absolutely fair and fine and dandy. There was a, a Twitter account, a bot, which was whenever someone said sneak a peak but spelt peak wrong, as in a mountain peak, they would reply to them saying, I think you've got that wrong. <laughs> which is a kind of Twitter account I could get behind. But, yeah, you yeah. do that quite a lot, don't you, Robin? You did that on my most recent Instagram post, didn't you, Robin? Well, John spelt faint, with, with, like someone fainting, he spelt it with an E. I, just, I was just being a friend. <laughs> a, fr- a friend to grammar? <laughs> yeah. It's a common uh, one in beer to mix up palate, as in the delivery item. And palate, yeah. as in what we use to detect uh, flavor. Yeah, right. so that one happens a lot in beer. Yeah. Oh, so has palate got an E on the end for, for the mouth's palate? The mouth palate is P-A-L-A-T-E. And then a uh, delivery palate is P-A-L-L-E-T. A palate. Oh, a palate. A wow. Palate. Because you should remember <laughs> it's like a plate, which you put food on, which you eat and taste with your palate. Uh, very good pub quiz, Robin. Thank you so much for that. Before we come to your your next choice, which is your spirits, uh, Natalia, I always like to ask beer experts, what's your like sort of favourite mainstream corner shop, small selection, classic canned beer that you know you could get anywhere that we might think that someone with your palate <laughs> might sort of like look down on? But do you have sort of classic that uh, someone described uh, the the selection you get at a, on a classic sort of um row of kegs at a pub being skag skags which is stella cronenberg amstel guinness strongbow like do you do you have sort of go-tos that you know you could get even if the pub or the shop didn't have a very interesting collection it is interesting because the the skag option in america (laughs) is um bud miller course those are your, your go-to. So I've got one of those and it was kind of like, I felt like I had to choose one. You know, why would I pick one over the other if I needed to have a go-to beer if I was just out at a dive bar? And many people actually are huge Miller fans, uh, but that was never the one that won me over. I would always go for Budweiser, not Bud Light, Budweiser, full fat. Um, I visited the brewery twice in St. Louis. I've had really wonderful experiences there. And it wouldn't be, you know, the only beer I would choose to drink, but to make a lager like that, like any of them, Bud Miller Coors or any of the other lagers, they take so much technical precision to make sure that they can be made without any off flavors, because that's the whole idea of a lager. There's nothing to hide behind. So you've got your malt giving some flavor, some sweetness, and most of that sugar is then being turned into alcohol. Your hops are there, but really to make these things quite palatable to a lot of different people, we want that bitterness to be quite low in an American lager or an international pale lager. 
And the yeast, when it comes to using lager yeast, it's really about having what's called a clean fermentation profile. We want to make the booze and the bubbles. We don't want anything else. And that's very hard to do and do that consistently every time. So I think they do deserve some praise for making that consistency but they are designed to be accessible and appealing to so many different palates that they aren't going to have a ton of flavor. So I think kind of teaching people that about beer is helpful for them to know that. Um, and then when you do get beyond that, if you do want to start looking for more flavor, then there's over a hundred different styles to choose from if you if you figure out what you like and what you want to go looking for more of. Fant what an incredible answer. Uh, <laughs> fantastic. So uh, we return to your pub. We're going to perhaps discuss what your pub would look like uh, in a second, but first let's uh, find out what two spirits you'd, you'd have there. So I'm not the biggest spirits drinker, I'll say. I had a little phase before I got into beer where I was quite into cocktails, but the reason I like beer so much is because it is quite low in ABV. And so I like something that's a little bit easier drinking and not going to have uh, the intense effect that very strong spirits do. Uh, but with my spirits choices and with my wild card, I will be building a cocktail. So you will oh, see lovely. if you can figure it out. Like it. Yeah. So I need some rye and I am going for Michter's. I don't necessarily have a great reason for choosing it, but I remember being told it was a very good rye. So we're going to have some Michter's rye on the bar. And my next spirit is yellow chartreuse. So a liqueur uh, that has a beautiful yellow color, uh, kind of a nice herbal bitterness and a lot of a floral and medicinal quality, but a little bit of sweetness to it as well. Definitely not as intense as green chartreuse, which is its sort of bigger brother that's a bit better known. What is chartreuse? It is, yeah, this sort of herbal liqueur that's made by these Carthusian monks that have this secret recipe that they've been using for hundreds of years. And I believe the yellow is about 40%, while the green is about 55% ABV. Oh, wow. I love the bottle. Yeah, it's really beautiful. We've really got to a lot to thank monks for, really. Right, so many booze. beers as well. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Buckfast. True, they got, they've covered them all. Beer, wine, spirits, yeah. exactly. <laughs> I, well, I, I'm not a cocktail expert, so I can't, I don't know where this is going, but I'm sure... It's a bit of an obscure one. So if you're looking for something obscure, I've got that for you. Right. Oh, nice. great. Well, this is quite a nice reveal for your for your wildcard option. But let's let's talk about what you want this pub to look like. Is it going to reflect American and British influences, or are you going all-out classic British? Yeah, just classic <laughs> British. No American nice. influence here. So wow. some of the pubs that come to mind are some of my favourite sort of real ale pubs in London. So the Queen's Head on Acton Street, the Southampton Arms. That's Rob, that's the pub where we go to by, um, by, by King's, King's Cross. Cross. That's the one, exactly. Yeah. I love that pub. Great pub, yeah, yeah, right. So many elements from there, then the Southampton Arms and also the Cock Tavern in Hackney. That's where they've got loads of benches, loads, loads of church pews in both of those. And you walk in and you just are greeted by all the hand pulls. And for me, I'm like, yes, the signs of a great pub. Is the cock tavern the one that's just right outside the station? Mm -hmm. Is that the yes, right, yeah. That is a nice pub. And, and do you easy know the, access to transport is apparently important yeah. to me as well. <laughs> do you do you have have you ever been to the Lamb just up the road? No, I've because not. That's that, that's a that's a great pub. Oh, okay, I'll add it to my that, list. In that locale, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's sort of the inspiration for the inside. But I would also like a fire for the winter. I would like some big chairs that you can sink into. Again, they could be leather, but I have these chairs. I really enjoy sitting in at the Coburg Bar in the Connet Hotel. Don't know if you've ever been there, but they've got these wonderful armchairs that you literally just sink right into. So for my cocktail that I'm building, that is where I will be sitting by the fire, enjoying it. 
in the wintertime, and I would really like a pub garden, which all of the places I have mentioned so far, they don't really have one. They're quite tiny as they're all central London located. Uh, but the Griffin pub in Whetstone, I was just up there recently, a friend runs it, and it has the most beautiful beer garden. So that's where I'll be drinking my rosé uh, champagne in the back garden. The, 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 I'm just looking up um, the Coburg bar mm-hmm. in the, what's the name of the hotel again? The Connet. The Connet Hotel. Mm-hmm. Are you talking about the sort of green crushed velvet squat armchairs or are you talking about the higher backed sort of wing backed the wing chairs? back yeah you just sit in it oh. and like you feel like a movie villain you know you're hiding a little bit and you could just have your drink and just disappear from the world i i really want to visit this i i so rarely go to bars in hotels because i sort of always have a fear that they're going to say what room are you in <laughs> but then i realize that you know that's how sort of I think they're happy to take your money regardless, so it doesn't matter if you're staying there or not. But I mean, if you popped into a travel lodge to use the vending machine, they'd probably say, what are you you doing here? (laughs) I went the other day to, there's a hotel in Soho, because I was was invited to see the film about Brian Wilson, because it's a hotel that has a little cinema in it. Uh, Do you know the one I mean? I can't remember what it's called. I can't remember what it's called, but... um, It's not Hazlitt's, the hospital club? Maybe, yeah. I can't remember, but... um, I thought, I thought, oh, this is so good, getting to see a film in Soho, you know, for free. Isn't this amazing? And I went into the bar and ordered a seventeen-pound cocktail. <laughs> yeah, holy moly! Yeah. Yeah. I always, I always remember that with when I first started, when I first moved to London to do comedy, a lot of people were obsessed with joining Soho House. Right, oh, I might have been that. It was like a sort of, it was, it. I don't know. I don't know why it is that people always want to seek out exclusive places where other people aren't allowed to go. It's not really my scene. But I went to Soho House a few times with people who are members, and I hate the whole thing about like you're waiting, worried if there's gonna they're gonna let you in or all this. So anyway, the membership's X thousand pounds a year. But then anyway, yeah, you go to the bar and it's like fifteen quid for a rum and coke, and you're like, well, surely if you've spent all this money joining, you should get some sort of discount. <laughs> but apparently, the ones in uh, abroad are very good. There's one in New York and one in Berlin. I'm, I don't know why I'm saying that. Like I'm obliged to say, it, but apparently they are very nice. <laughs> other clubs are available. <laughs> yeah, other clubs are available. Yeah, I'm not a very. I don't think I'm a clubbable man. Well, check out the Coburg bar. I've only been once, but it was a very welcoming experience. And I should point out as well the fact where I said, oh, you feel like a movie villain and you get this experience by yourself. I would like two of them facing the fire so that people can either have the experience on their own or share it with someone and maybe a few fireplaces. So not everyone's just waiting for those two. But I think what I love about pubs is this idea that you can have an experience on your own if you want to, but also that they're centers of community. And that sort of has to do with the cocktail story that I'm telling it's about bringing people together in a pub and having conversations you may not have expected to ever have. Well, you, your your podcast focuses on women in the beer industry or in the brewing industry. What sort of how have you found being a woman in coming over to to Britain, especially because you've got the sort of double threat that you're in a quite a male industry, but you're also an American who people may sort of have ideas about American beer or whatever have you have you found that's been a challenge to overcome those those two things and and what are, are some of the experiences the women on your podcast have discussed i often get asked are you a canadian or a nice american <laughs> people don't know what to do with my accent um and i will tell you i actually grew up in northern ireland so i'm british and american as oh, well oh really where in northern ireland bangor 
so my parents are back there now, um, but they're from Belfast originally. My brothers and I lived there as kids, and then we moved to America when I was eight. So hence why I've picked up the accent. I did live there for more than half my life at this point, but came here to pursue a career in beer. So I think when I tell people, you know, they hear the accent and they just think, oh goodness, where is she from? Uh, how noisy is she going to be? That's usually what I think when people think about Americans and how, how we speak. But when I tell them I'm from here as well, then they kind of are like, okay, we can let that guard down. We know she's British. It's okay. She's not just American. But I think about being a woman in the industry, there have certainly been moments where there have been uncomfortable conversations, things that were said by colleagues that shouldn't have been said. But I think for me, I'm so passionate about what I do and getting the education that I got, becoming a beer sommelier, becoming an advanced Cicerone, I'm so confident that I know what I'm on about and all I want to do is talk to other people and share it and get them as excited about beer as I am, that nothing will stop me on that. So even if there is a side comment or someone thinking I know more than her, what does she know? I'll prove it to you. I'll put on my pin badge. <laughs> I've got the qualifications. And I think there are other women who have had those moments of feeling um, a bit of imposter syndrome or, you know, have had comments as well that have made them feel unwelcome. But there is so much strength and safety in numbers. There are so many women in beer. And that's the whole point of the podcast. I say, you know, I speak to people who work in the beer industry who love what they do, but every guest has been a woman and I've had 50 episodes. So it kind of goes to show you that there's so many women in the industry who are doing things that they really enjoy, whether they're brewing or packaging or doing beer education or running a pub. There are many different careers, many ways into beer. And that if you do ever have a moment where you feel, oh, am I alone? Go listen to the podcast. There's going to be so many people that you can speak to and connect with. And it gives you this, this confidence that you're in it with a bunch of other women who really know what they're on about, who love what they do. And so, yeah, as I've said, nothing can stop us. Oh, fantastic. Well, everyone listening to this, do check out Beer with Nat, uh, the podcast, to find out more about that community of people. Uh, it sounds like a wonderful resource. Oh, that's interesting. Mm. We have to now move on to another wonderful resource, which is literature. Um, uh, Robin, you are the curator of the Moon Underwater Pub Library. So what are we adding to the shelves this week? Thanks, John. Yes, welcome to the Pub Library. And this week, it's a book we touched on briefly in our last Behind the Cellar Door monthly podcast, which is William Boyd's Any Human Heart, which is a book John recommended uh, a long time ago, and I've only just finished. And it is absolutely fantastic. It's one of the best novels I've, I can remember reading, really. It's about a, a man called Logan Mount Stewart, and it's the diary of his life. He's a fictional character, but in, in, in his life, in his diary, he meets all these incredible people. He meets James Joyce and Ernest Hemingway in Paris in the 20s. He, you know, has an experience in, you know, he's a spy in the Second World War. He kind of meets Edward VIII. He kind of, um, what else does he do? He meets Andy Warhol and, you know, 60s. Yeah, he's sort of adjacent to the art scene in New York, isn't he? Yeah. And yeah, so he just lives this fantastic, colourful life and just extraordinary. And it's written so well. And it's, it feels like he kind of lives these different lifetimes within, within one life, you know, which is amazing. And let's face facts, he's a big boozer. But, <laughs> <laughs> but there's a bit just towards the end, it's very beautiful towards the end when he's moved to France, kind of see out the end of his days. And he just talks about kind of what his days are like now. And this is just a really lovely little passage about, um, yeah, he's, he's gone on holiday for a week. The pleasures of my life here are simple, simple, inexpensive and democratic. A warm hill, 
of marmande tomatoes on a roadside vendor stall, a cold beer on a pavement table of the Café de France, Marie-Thérèse inside making me a sandwich au camembert, munching the knob off a fresh baguette as I wander back from Saint-Sabine, the farinaceous smell of the white dust raised by a breeze from the driveway, a cuckoo sounding in the perfectly silent woods beyond the meadow, the huge grey cerise pink orange and washed out blue of a sunset seen from my rear terrace, the drilling of the cicadas at noon, the soft dialing tone of the crickets as dusk slowly gathers, a good book, a hammock, and a cold beaded bottle of Blanc Sec, a rough red wine and steak frites, the cool dark shuttered silence of my bedroom, and as I go to sleep the prospect that all this will be available to me again unchanged tomorrow. There's something quite there's something Larkin-esque about that last that last refrain. Yeah. Except he's happy. <laughs> Except he's happy, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Oh I love the idea of democratic pleasures. Yeah. And also the idea that I mean, sort of we've done a lot of people in the pub library who kind of had quite irresponsible attitudes to drinks, let let's say. But I do like the idea of this as an old man now who still finds pleasure in alcohol. Mm. You know, and I think that's why it's so beautiful. You it's know. not been his ruin. No. It is his sort of inheritance of, of old age. <laughs> yeah. Oh. But it's a fantastic book. It's one of the great books. Yeah. Any Human Heart by William Boyd. So check it out. Yes. And we have reached out uh, to Will Boyd, who may or may not be passing through the door of the moon underwater at some point in the future. And if he does, we look forward very much to having him. But our pub here doesn't just have a library, Natalia. It also has a jukebox. And I think music and booze, boozic, uh, if you will, uh, have been inextricably linked for generations. But what are you talking about? <laughs> but what album would you like to have on in your dream pub that we can put on the Moon Underwater jukebox? So I have to admit, this isn't the best choice in terms of full album. But I have selected Van Morrison Wavelength. Oh, holy shit. Because... (laughs) Now we're fucking talking. I am named after a song on that album. No way. That is where my name Natalia comes from. Yes. Oh my god. So I have to admit, I honestly had not listened to the full album before until very recently. And I was just thinking, I just know Natalia. I just know the one I'm named after. But I thought that's got to go into the into the pub jukebox so we can listen to the song I'm named after. Because, of course, Van the Man is from Belfast, where my parents are from. It just makes me think about my parents listening to this in the late 70s when it came out, early 80s. And they said to me, you know, they, the, they were thinking at the time, when we have a daughter, we're going to call her Natalia. But one of my favorite tunes, knowing it's got that nice story attached to it. Can I shock you, uh, Natalia? Go for it. <laughs> so me and Robin are both big Van fans. As am I, as is my whole family. Yep. Wavelength is not an album I know. Right. <laughs> Nobody knows well. it. <laughs> I have um I have this bizarre habit of my favourite artists. I sort of hoover up their entire back catalogue, but I will always leave a couple of albums so that there's <laughs> always something sort of that I haven't heard. So that if I'm like 70 or 80 years old I'll always be able to sort of discover something they've done for the first time Lovely. I mean Into the Music the one he did after this is oh, a superb. big big fave I, I, I love Moondance but I think who doesn't love Moondance you know I can listen to Moondance all the way through and just every song on there 
yeah. I know most of the and, words. And how are your feelings on Astral Weeks? Because that's mine and John's favourite album, basically. <laughs> in, I enjoy it. I think some of it's a little weird for me, but I'm like, you know, Van went through lots of different phases of his artistry. So yeah, I enjoy them all. So I don't own Wavelength because it's one of the, uh, I think uh, there's two Van Morrison albums, apart from the recent ones, which are all absolute garbage. <laughs> uh, but there's, there's two from his classic period, or not his classic period, but there's two that I have saved for sort of my dotage. And it's the same with Lou Reed. There's two Lou Reed albums I don't have. But um, I think because Wavelength came out after a, an album called A Period of Transition, which marked the end of his sort of golden age, those first six or seven albums, which were all 10 out of 10 bangers, and then he took some time off and a period of transition isn't that great. So I'm going to, in your honour, and now it's on the jukebox, I'm going to get hold of at Wavelength and I'm going to listen to that tonight. All right, enjoy. Because it's I do know a few of the tracks on it, uh, Kingdom Hall and Wavelength itself. But I'll, I'll listen to Natalia for the first time and I'll think of you <laughs> and, our, and our meeting here at the Moon Underwater. But it's del- oh, I'm so pleased that Van's on the Van's on the JB. Has, he not, <laughs> has no one else put a Van the Man album? I don't think so. Wow. I'm sorry it's not the best one, but just had, no, just had to get my, the song yeah. I'm named after on there. I think we've got Astral Weeks, haven't we? Didn't someone pick Astral Weeks? I'm not entirely sure. But uh, Astral Weeks is the best thing to hear when you walk into a pub. Because it's happened to me twice, both the same pub, uh, the Dagda in <laughs> so Edinburgh. So you know it's in their jukebox for sure. Yeah. Hello, fans of Pub and Pint. I'm Jess Phillips an MP, and now for the first time, a podcast host. I know that the moon underwater is used to sighing for its letters, so I think you'll love my new podcast that's all about writing letters. It's called Yours Sincerely, and in each episode, I invite a guest to celebrate three people that mean the world to them. Someone they love, someone who's no longer around, and someone who doesn't realise how significant a role they've played in their lives. So with that, I'll sign off with Yours Sincerely, Jess Phillips. I hope you get to enjoy an episode of my podcast soon. Thousands of people listen to The Moon Underwater every week and we can help deliver your brand message to targeted audiences. So if you want to be part of The Moon Underwater and connect with engaged audio listeners, get in touch. Just email sales at audioalways.com and find out more about how podcast advertising and sponsorship could work for you. That's sales at audioalways.com. Uh, superb choice. Uh, thank you uh, for that. But you have one final choice, and it's a very special wild card because it completes the triumvirate that go together to create the cocktail that you want to have access to at your dream pub. So far, we've got. Well, I'll, I'll let. I'll do a full rundown. On draft, we have Harvey's Sussex Best, Persner Urkel, uh, but the unfiltered, unpasteurized wooden cask version only available from the brewery. We have Pliny the Elder Double IPA from Russian River Brewing. We have a Billicat Salmon Rosé Champagne. And the spirits that were going to contribute to this cocktail are Mictus Rye, Yellow Chartreuse, and what's the final of that triple-pronged attack? And, well, I've got to bring a few things up my sleeves as well to finish it <laughs> off, okay. but That's we okay. need some sweet vermouth. 
Yeah. That's sort of the main final ingredient. To be honest, I have never asked a bartender when they have made this drink for me what sweet vermouth they are using. Uh, and when I kind of looked it up, there seemed to be lots of different options. But we're going to go with Dolan just to, to pick a brand if we need to pick a brand. And uh, up my sleeves, a few dashes of Angostura bitters and orange bitters and a lemon peel for garnish. Mm, mm. I think you're allowed to have the sort of... The bar tray, a, a nice bar tray of, you know, my garnishes and things in front. Yeah, I think you're certainly allowed to... Ha- I'm trying to think of what the word would be for the sort of the the, the, the bar condiments. <laughs> so Tabasco, Worcester sauce, bitters... Lemon, lime, mixers, ice, mixers. You're sort of, a, those are given, I think, in any pub. My accoutrements that I need for making my cocktails, yes. Um, otherwise, you'd be sort of forced to bring glasses and, you know, beer mats and stuff, which, which we would which never ask. Which you kindly provide. Yes, thank you. <laughs> yes. So what's the name of the cocktail we're creating with all these things? Yeah, so together these ingredients create a cocktail that's called the Green Point, which is named after the neighbourhood in Brooklyn, as this cocktail is a variation on the Manhattan Mm. Ah, ah. I've stayed in Greenpoint. In fact, I think we've been to Greenpoint together, Robin, haven't we? I think so. I but I, so. The, yeah. last time I went to New York, we stayed in an Airbnb in Greenpoint. And have you ever tried a Greenpoint cocktail? No, but I really want to now. So what? What describe how the, the vermouth, the chartreuse and the rye interact with the bitters and the orange what are we talking yeah so you've got this nice spiciness coming from the rye uh i when i when i it's funny i don't love spirits but i like a spirit forward cocktail if i'm going to have a cocktail i want to taste the alcohol which is good considering this is pretty much all alcohol so we've got the nice spice from the rye coming through there uh the yellow chartreuse will bring a bit of sweetness and that sort of medicinal herbal bitterness for balance and then the sweet vermouth again brings some nice sweetness and a bit of that sort of um yeah aromatic wine quality then a little bit of the orange bitters a little bit of the angostura bitters and then that nice sort of aromatic zest of lemon from the lemon peel that you put on top so how is it different from a manhattan then in in what way so a manhattan will use bourbon instead of rye. Right. It right. will use sweet vermouth as well. Uh, but there's one other different ingredient. It definitely doesn't use that, um, the yellow chartreuse in there. There's something else in a Manhattan that I can't remember what it is. And isn't it more, don't they usually have orange in a Manhattan? Is that right? Or am I thinking of something else? They usually have, well, it depends, I suppose, because you can have your Manhattan dry, perfect or sweet, whether you use dry vermouth, a blend of dry and sweet or just sweet. Um, and then the garnish will change, whether you get the orange peel, if you go dry or you get the cherry. If you go sweet. Right. Yeah, okay, so a few I different see. options. Nice. But yeah, we'll have to figure out what the missing ingredient is in the Manhattan, in addition to bourbon and sweet vermouth. I think, just judging from what I'm finding out in my mind, uh, the Manhattan is rye whiskey, sweet vermouth, Angostura bitters, orange bitters, and a brandied cherry or lemon twist. Ah, there we go. Okay, so it is just those two types of alcohol then. Yeah, so it's the addition of the chartreuse. You're barred. Also in this pub, not only have you got your big chairs from the Coburn <laughs> Bar. Correct. Not only have you got fires, not only have you got a very British feel, you've got seasonal chairs, uh, but you've also got all of your knowledge and expertise, which I'm sure people are going to come in their droves to ask you question after question about beer and the history of it and the different tasting profiles and to learn more. And I will happily entertain them all day long, yes. Yeah. Well, we thank you so much um, for sharing your expertise and experience with us uh, in this incredible pub where you've got Harvey's Sussex Best, Pilsner Urquell, the special secret edition, Pliny the Elder, Billicart Salmon Rosé, 
Mictus rye, yellow chartreuse, sweet vermouth, and a few things up your sleeve to create the green point. Uh, but you also have the power to bar certain things from your pub, whether it's an activity or an item, type of behaviour. So what are you going to not allow in your fantasy tavern? The one key thing not allowed anywhere near my pub is dirty glassware. You are the first person. <laughs> I can imagine I'm the first I person like to it. say that, but it completely ruins a drink. Amen. Lipstick around the rim. And it's not just that. So we can get real technical about beer glassware and glassware for all kinds of drinks. But yes, there's things we can see, the soil, that lipstick, the lint, whatever it might be. But in many glasses, if they're not clean, there's this lining of oil inside. And so whenever a beer is poured into that or even a sparkling wine, the carbonation collapses right away. And then you see on the inside of the glass, this lining of bubbles sticking to the glass that shouldn't be there. So bubbles don't stick to glass, they stick to stuff on glass. So that's a clear indicator the glass isn't clean. And one of my worst pub experiences, sadly, was near me in East London. And I ordered a Guinness and it didn't come in a Guinness glass. It came in a differently branded glass, came in a uh, Bira Moretti glass, and it was filthy. Just bubbles all down the inside of the glass. And I will never forget that experience you know, for all the wrong reasons. So I want people to order what they want and for it to be perfectly served in lovely clean glassware. What's the etiquette for taking a pint back in, under those circumstances? In that case, I did not. And I just kind of <laughs> suffered with it for a little while and then left actually most of my half pint behind. But in somewhere where I would expect for them to, you know, know what they're on about and clean their glassware, I would definitely take it back and ask for a clean one. Uh, so, it, shout out to shit London Guinness again. Uh, totally, uh, I, I almost sent that picture in. <laughs> you've you've described what I've never understood about some of those bad pints, where it almost looks like there's condensation on the inside of the glass. Mm. Yes. Mm. So that's that's the bubbles in the Guinness sticking to some sort of residue. Dust. It's normally dust, really. Could be dust. It could be an oily residue. So sometimes if you make cocktails that maybe have cream or egg white, or even if you had a coffee cup that had milk in it, and you wash that in the same dishwasher as your glassware, the fats and oils from the milk will get into the beer glassware, and then you get that sticky uh, layer of bubbles coating the inside of the glass. But am I right in thinking that if you, at home, say you wash your pint glasses in a dishwasher and you pour a very fizzy beer into them, sometimes it all just fizzes up immediately because the bubbles have nowhere to cling on to. So you lose a lot of the carbonation because it's too, it's almost like it's too clean, or have I made that up? I'm assuming it's probably more likely to be that there is a lot of layers of dust or, or grime in there, unfortunately, that would create a lot of points for the bubbles to nucleate from and rise right. off from. My tip, I teach all my students, is maybe a bit of an effort, but it's worth it. I keep a separate sponge just for my beer glassware. Wow, oh, I don't mind that. So whatever I use to clean my plates, that doesn't go inside my beer glasses. So I don't get any oil or grease in my beer glassware. It's just got its own separate little sponge that I just use for my glassware. I often like rinse a beer glass with under in very, very cold water before. Yeah, even you can it's do that too. Clean. Yeah, and that's, that kind of can remove any dust that might have settled in there, cools it down to serving temperature. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I absolutely love it. Because, I mean, I feel the shame if I have a friend round and I give them a glass for their beer, of even just seeing the sort of dried droplets of something that hasn't been, like, towel dried. It's just sort of like the... Because I live in a hard water town, but I don't let it get me down. Um, <laughs> but uh, So many poems today. Wonderful. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> that's actually, uh, I don't, you might not know this, a very English reference, but there's a band called Half Man, Half Biscuit, and that's one of their lyrics. I'm living in a hard water town, but I don't let it get me down. <laughs> I've got fur in my kettle and, uh, what is it? I've got fur in my kettle and mug on my tea. I'm living in a hard water town, but I don't let it get me down. <laughs> Hurry up, please. It's time. Well, we're delighted to ban uh, dirty glassware from your pub. Your pub, which until now has remained nameless. And we've got to change that. So what are you calling it, Natalia? So I don't think I'm a particularly creative person. I asked my partner, I was like, oh, I need some ideas for my pub name. And he came up with a great one. The Nat's Head. Mm. Oh, I don't mind that at all. So all the things living in my brain are now in the pub of the mind. Is your partner British? Yes. Because that would be a play on the nag's head. Exactly, yep. So it works perfectly well. Uh, And is is your partner as big a fan of uh, beer as as you? Yes, he owns a few pubs. So yes, he loves this world. So yeah, we know it quite well. Win-win. Yep. Oh, well, thank you so much for coming to the Moon Underwater this evening. It's been an absolute treat to talk to you, and we appreciate your time heading over to the correct realm. Uh, But before you go with the gnat's head to take with you wherever you need it the most, would you like to select, and I think we know the answer to this, a song (laughs) from Van Morrison's Wavelength to play you out? Yes, indeed. We'll be listening to Natalia. Enjoy, everyone. And thank you very much for having me. Thank you for coming, and I look forward to hearing this for the first ever time. Thousands of people listen to The Moon Underwater every week and we can help deliver your brand message to targeted audiences. So if you're to be part of The Moon Underwater and connect with engaged audio listeners, get in touch. Just email sales at audioalways.com and find out more about how podcast advertising and sponsorship could work for you. That's sales at audioalways.com.